Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Inside the DriveHuber.com studios, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, along with Eddie Garrison. Thanks so much for spending part of your Tuesday with us. The highest of highs for the Cincinnati Red just a few days ago. It's by no means the lowest of lows right now. Just a bit of a rough patch. Losing three in a row, falling out of the central lead for the time being. We'll get that and more along with some Bengals talk with Charlie Goldsmith. Covers the Reds and the Bengals for the Inquirer. Charlie, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Doing well. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. It's been a uh, nice Tuesday to this point. So appreciate you making some time for us to bring us up to speed on the latest with the Reds. We were talking a little bit with our producer extraordinaire who's a diehard Reds fan. He's given us the lowdown on the lack of, I don't want to say consistency, but there's obviously been struggles from a health standpoint within the pitching staff. However, the explosion of just overall atmosphere at Great American Ballpark with the arrival of Ellie De La Cruz. The win streak wasn't going to last forever, as the Reds' Twitter account joked when the winning streak ended just a few nights ago. But as you look at where this team is at right now, now back in second place in the Central, and the opportunities afforded to them now, where do things stand with this ball club? Well, it's a team that's proven it has one of the best lineups in the division, probably the second best lineup in the division. And just a well-rounded, deep group of rookies who are going to be the the core of the Reds for the next five to seven years. And kind of the reason this year has been such a surprise is in baseball, you rarely have any rookie who is this good and this consistent. And the Reds have three of them, or really four of them, when you include pitcher Andrew Abbott, and then a group of uh, second- and third-year players as well that's carrying the lineup. The starting rotation due to injuries and you know different developments hasn't panned out in the way they hoped, which is the reason that they've lost the last couple games and the reason that they're you know not the favorites or not in first place in the NL Central right now. But overall, for a team that I predicted to win 68 games at the start of the season, it's definitely been a success so far. Charlie, how has Ellie De La Cruz galvanized this team and just given them that extra oomph, it seems like, you know, just to, throughout the season? Well, he's a star. And, you know, Joey Votto's a future Hall of Famer. But there's just a certain presence about the type of guy that Ellie De La Cruz is that the Reds haven't had probably since Barry Larkin in wow. the 90s and into the early 2000s. Um, Ellie De La Cruz has electrified the city. He's brought fans back to Great American Ballpark. He has had people who, you know, friends of mine, uh, people I see around town who, who haven't talked about the Reds in years, showing up at the park to see what the heck is this guy going to do tonight because there's never been a baseball player like him. I really mean this. I talked to some really, really smart baseball people, and uh, the comps you hear for this guy are Barry Bonds and Deion Sanders with his speed and Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts and some of the and Alex Rodriguez some of the best and most talented players that we've seen in baseball and uh, again for a Reds team that has been looking for kind of a, a a reason to latch on as they went through a long rebuild Ellie De La Cruz has given everything a purpose and has helped you know take the Reds identity around town to another level so as a beat writer myself I'm always curious to see how a young person handles 
the immediate attention that comes with the success that they have, you know, when they're performing. So how have you seen him handle the spotlight that comes with being one of the best players in the MLB this season? So what's incredible about Ellie is, so in 2018, he's in the Dominican Republic. Back then, he's only like six foot one fifty, and nobody's ever heard of him. He's thinking about quitting because scouts wouldn't even look at him. In 2020, before he broke out, he was worried the Reds were going to release him. In 2021, the Reds don't even invite him to spring training. They just have him come to like their post-draft camp in July. And, you know, what's happened since then is the quickest star turn that you'll ever see. In, you know, two years ago, again, he wasn't even at spring training yet. At this point last year, he was an A-ball. So this has happened so fast for him. And you can really feel just the number one thing I would say about Ellie the joy and the appreciation and the energy and the enthusiasm that, you know, only someone who has burst onto the scene like this so quickly could understand. Um, He is extremely down-to-earth, extremely motivated, extremely bright and energetic, and he is just this fun presence for someone who, you know, that personality and that approach is really what saved him when it wasn't working out for him. And now, of course, combined with the incredible talent, has made him a really fun guy to be around. Charlie Goldsmith with us covers the Reds and the Bengals for the Inquirer. Charlie, we've talked a little bit about the Reds and their opportunity to be potentially buyers of the trade deadline if they really want to take a full swing at this and take advantage of the opportunity in front of them and getting back to the postseason. When you look at potential returns from injury, potential moves they can make at trade before the deadline, where would you rank order of importance for what this team needs to get back in order to not necessarily have a long win streak like they did, but have a sustainable stretch the rest of the way and the second half of the season where they're a postseason team of any kind, be it winning the Central or getting a wild card spot? So number one, number two, and number three are starting pitching. Their lineup, they have this incredible, and I mean incredible, prospect in AAA. Christian Encarnacion Strand. And one of the reasons that he's not in the big leagues, despite hitting like 340 this year, is that there's just not a spot for him in the lineup. What they need is pitching. Now the question is, do they want to go and, you know, get the Marcus Stroman, the Shane Bieber, the Dylan Cease, the top of the rotation guy and go all in? Or do they want to say, what's the best way to uh, maximize an overall like World Series timeline for them? thinking when all these players get to their prime. I think that would be the smarter approach. I think the best thing they could do right now is, you know, at the trade deadline, trade for a veteran on a one-year deal, a Zach Granke, Jordan Montgomery, James Paxton type, to kind of just shore up the rotation in the short term and give yourselves the best shot to be competitive this year. But I don't think you want to go too far, you know, just like the Colts shouldn't go all in trading future draft picks for – you know, a defensive lineman, you know, who's, you know, DeForest Buckner, but at this stage of his career with at this stage of where the Colts are at, um, the Reds can't go all in quite yet, I don't think. But I do think they can make some smaller moves to give them their best or a more realistic shot to stay competitive in the second half of the year. One move that sort of intrigues me is the extension or not extension of David Bell, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the manager. So how do you see those talks um unfolding and is it something that we should keep an eye on yeah so david bell you rarely see this happen where so david bell was hired in 2019 and the reds like they had a different front office back then they made this massive all-in push in 2019 and really went too far in a way that the moves they made then while it got them you know a a birth and an expanded playoffs in 2020 and an 83 win season 
because of the moves they made to kind of go all in. That's what started the rebuild in the first place. So, But to my point, they hired David Bell to manage that all-in team. Then he goes through a massive total rebuild, and he has to wear a completely different hat. And clearly he's done a lot of that really well because now here the Reds, ahead of schedule, seeing the other side, he's now in a third like phase of his managing career. And it's really a testament to David Bell because you rarely see managers who have so much success in three completely different stages of where a team's at. That's really a testament to him. I think there's a, a great working relationship between the GM and the manager. The answer I just don't know is how ownership feels about this. They haven't wanted to talk about the subject. They haven't wanted, frankly, to talk to the media much after some comments from ownership over the last two years really turned off the fan base. Uh, the managing decision will ultimately come down to owner Bob Castellini and President Phil Castellini, and they haven't wanted to lean one way or another on how they feel about David. I think that that is certainly a question they have to answer by the end of the season, especially because, again, what you're seeing on the field and the relationship between David David Bell and the general manager Nick Kroll, you're seeing that work out so well. I do think it's a, it's a question they should answer, you know, even before the All-Star break. I realize that for most Reds fans, this is a welcomed, wonderful surprise with where things are at at this point and Ellie De La Cruz being as good as advertised and the pieces kind of coming together over the last month or so. But since you brought it up, I wasn't sure if I would or not, but you brought up the fact that ownership and just the comments that have been made over the last couple of years for a number of different reasons have rubbed fans the wrong way. And I know that this is going to be a fun ride the rest of the season regardless, but mapping this thing out over the next couple of seasons, why should Reds fans feel different or more optimistic that the front office will get it right over this stretch building around this young core? Well, these are two different wings almost. So, well, Reds general manager, Nick Crawl, so he changed like everything about what the Reds do behind the scenes. For example, he prioritized scouting in the Dominican Republic and in Venezuela in a way that the Reds just weren't doing before. And who came from the Dominican Republic? Ellie De La Cruz. They prioritized guys in the draft that led to the direct decision to get Matt McClain. Like Nick Kroll has changed philosophically the types of players the Reds are looking to add and where they're looking for them to build this young, fast, dynamic team that is completely by design because that's how they've made, that's how he's made every decision over the last five years. So from a player acquisition, you know, uh, at the amateur level, there's total confidence in Nick Kroll building and continuing to build this roster because of how the Reds haven't had this much young talent since the, the 90s, since they won the World Series in 1990, I think there's a lot of confidence there where there's still a question is, you know, what the Reds are missing right now is if in free agency they had went out and gotten two, you know, 32-year-old starting pitchers on one-year deals, they wouldn't be this desperate in their rotation right now. And the reason they didn't do that is because ownership didn't give Nick Kroll that flexibility. So the question is whether this success will lead to more of an openness from ownership to invest more in the big league club after three straight years where payroll has been chipped away at, chipped away at, chipped away at. That's the existential question of the Reds right now. Nick Kroll has done a great job getting the Reds to a point where they can be this competitive. But for any baseball team, at the end of the day, you need investment from ownership to take you over the top to get those veteran additions that you need. Just a couple seasons ago, Jonathan India was National League Rookie of the Year. Now he's been bouncing around between second and DH. What kind of role do you expect him to have in the future of the franchise? A huge one. I know that 
he's not having the best statistical season right now, but just the quality of the at-bats, the underlying numbers, um, what I'm hearing from the coaching staff is that, frankly, he's still one of their best hitters. Um, he's also one of their most experienced players, which is something that you don't see often for a third-year guy. But just what he's even seen in his three years in the Reds has been huge in you know mentoring, and he has become a mentor for guys like Steer and McLean and De La Cruz. The big question is what position he's going to play. Right now they have kind of a rotation going where India is mostly playing second, a little more DH. De La Cruz playing some short and some third. McLean playing short and second. Um, India was prepared and has prepared to play maybe even first and third if the Reds need him to. It'll be very interesting to see if in the offseason when India can kind of really attack this and learn you know, how to play the outfield if the Reds explore playing him in left field will be one of the big questions of their offseason. But just from a lineup and a clubhouse and what he brings to the table perspective, and he's one of the biggest reasons the Reds are having the success they're having. Charlie, to pivot to the NFL side of things, we know you cover the Bengals as well. And so I guess the first thing I'll ask is, how do they feel about their season heading into it, knowing that Unlike here in Indianapolis, they have their guy. They know he's the guy. They know he's going to be there for a long time. How much confidence does that give them to just retool and uh, go after it again? Yeah, we joked about this, us writers, during OTAs. Like, of course there were storylines, but there weren't any huge questions because, (laughs) heck, the the one question there was was, you know, in previous years was the offensive line. The Bengals in the second half of the season last year before three starters got hurt, they really statistically, I test every way you want to look at it, had one of the best lines in the league. And then they get Orlando Brown, who's now the best lineman of that entire group. So it's just a team that very much knows who it is, knows what it's doing, knows exactly what it's good at, is a relentless machine of efficiency on both sides of the ball. And it's Super Bowl expectations. That's how they're making every decision from, you know, free agency to how to schedule practices. Every single decision they make is about winning a Super Bowl this year. When you look back at, and I know it was a different time in terms of where the Bengals really felt they were, but when you look back at the process that went through extending Joe Mixon, we're trying to, over the last couple of weeks, find what we would think would be a palatable or a fair evaluation for Jonathan Taylor and where the happy medium is between years and dollars, or do they just tag him? Uh, Take us back through that to present day of if there's any type of remorse or if there is a feeling of still, wow, we really got... One, not I want to say got one over, but while we really have a, a team-friendly deal with where Joe Mixon is compared to what he means and what his role is on this team. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, You're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. 
So the Bengals extended Mixon in 2020 during the summer. That was before Burrow had played a game. That was before Higgins had played a game. Um, Boyd was not making much at all back then. And the Bengals were coming off again, obviously, the worst season in the league, getting the number one pick. And what I've been told about that move was it was twofold. It was like, one, they didn't have a lot of good players, so you had to keep the good players you had and start to build something organically in a way that would set the tone for what they hoped to and now have built with, you know, Burrow, Chase, Higgins, etc. Um, two, you know, how, how the deal is aged. For the last three years, I think they have gotten surplus value from Joe Mixon on his contract. Um, in 2020, he actually was hurt most of that year, but they were an awful team anyway. But in 2021, kind of what turned that season that nobody talked about as they went to the Super Bowl was they had a stretch in November where they proved they could really run the ball, and that changed everything how defenses played them about how defenses played them. And then in the playoffs, the offensive line was terrible. But what changed the game against Tennessee and what changed the game for the offense against the Chiefs were touchdown drives that only happened because of the way the Bengals ran the ball. So Mixon was huge in 21, and then in 22, between week five and the end of the season, he was the most, the most efficient running back in football. I thought he had a really nice year. Like Now at this stage of his career, I don't think it's a surplus contract anymore. And that's why the Bengals explored moving in a different direction. But the way the contract was structured, they had flexibility. They still have flexibility to, you know, with barely any of any of it guaranteed, they can ask him to take a pay cut. They can explore different things. I wouldn't expect him to complete this deal going through next season because of the way it was structured. But to this point, I do think the Bengals have gotten their money's worth with Nixon. To that point, how much do you think getting the guy at quarterback gives you that flexibility? Because as we know, at least I feel like as, as fellow beat writers in the NFL – the one question that always has to be answered is quarterback. And when you answer that question as resounding as you do in Cincinnati with Joey B, as I like to call him, you know, Cool Joe, whatever is the nickname you want to call him, <laughs> I mean, how much does that flexibility does that give you as a team when you know pretty much anyone you surround this guy with, he'll probably make it work? I mean, that was a part of it, too. Like, so they knew Burrow was on that rookie contract. They also had a very specific plan, like, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan will draft or will put more, will have will have first-round wide receivers on their board ranked higher than other coaching staffs and front offices across the league. That's just how they value and analyze that position. That's why they went Chase over Sewell. That's why they went Higgins when they really needed an offensive tackle or a linebacker. So they knew in 2020 that they had a plan to surround Burrow with wide receivers on rookie deals. So they were looking who can we pay at premium skill positions that won't overlap with the receivers we plan to draft and that's where Joe Mixon came in. And again, I think so far it's been a bet, you know, it's been a surplus value deal. Probably going forward it won't be, but at that point in Bengals history again when they just needed good players and people they could hand the ball to, um, they needed Mixon on that deal. And again, I think it's been a success so far. Charlie Goldsmith with us of the Inquirer covers the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals for them. Speaking of the quarterback position, how complex are these potential negotiations whenever they arrive for Joe Burrow? I think that we all believe that he will be a Bengal for the majority, if not all, of his career, that a long-term extension is likely inevitable. But but how complex will these talks be, and what is the likelihood that something gets done before next offseason? Like you said, zero, zero doubt that Burrow will spend probably the rest of his career with the Bengals 
zero doubt that Burrow will sign an extension with the Bengals at some point. But these get more and more complex. You know, the thing on the Bengals' favor is, you know, the Allen and the Mahomes deals and most of these extensions don't get done until July and August anyway. Uh, But the complicating factor for the Bengals is that T. Higgins and Logan Wilson are in this class, you know, are in this draft class as well and are eligible for extensions at the same time. And you need to maintain as much flexibility before you get that Burrow deal done because you have no idea how much that flexibility will be eaten up by the guaranteed money you have to give to Burrow. So that's a complicating factor, but the sense I get is the Bengals are very secure right now, specifically in the idea that Burrow and Higgins are going to be with them for the long term. They plan on paying their stars. They have a long, long history of paying their best players at premium positions going back to the 80s, and they've been preparing for this, too. Like That's why they sold the naming rights to Paul Brown Stadium, and everything basically there is sponsored now. They've been acorning away money, preparing for this moment to give the most aggressive deals they can to keep their stars. So, in that same sense, could... Joe Burrow will be like, give me a fully guaranteed deal. And I'm joking. We, we went through this this saga already. But um, in all seriousness, I do want to ask, when it comes to him as a player and as a person, how does he carry knowing he's the guy? You know, I think that he's just from afar. It's fascinating because it's, it's like a – there's a quiet confidence to it. There's not – I mean, maybe a hinge of like – knowing I'm really good. So how do you see it from a perspective of being around him more often than I am, obviously? You know, the game I always go back to, it's actually a game they ended up losing in overtime. But in 2021, that year they made it to the Super Bowl, they're playing the 49ers. And, you know, that 49ers defense that year was the most talented defense I've ever seen in person. And the Bengals were down 14 with like 10 minutes left. And that was the kind of situation where, like, nobody on that team had ever won a game like that before in the NFL. Burrow, Higgins, Chase, they've never been a part of something like that in that type of adversity. And Burrow then just plays like backyard football and makes some of the most incredible plays I've seen to carry the Bengals on their back. And they, they take the game to overtime unprobably, and then they end up losing on a, on a field goal to the gun because Kittle made a crazy play. But there were just so many moments like that to get the Bengals to this point where just Burrow knew how to win in a way that a young quarterback shouldn't. And his playmaking, his instincts, his aggressiveness, his mentality, his feel, the way he reads defenses, like all of that accelerated the timeline for the Bengals so quickly. So now it's to the point where like last year in in New Orleans, they're down 10 in the fourth quarter on just a weird day, a weird game where it just wasn't clicking. And they just look around and they're like, all right, like they expect to win this game, and they did because Burrow threw a 60-yard touchdown to Chase with two minutes to go. Like they just do stuff like that. Like that's just who they are now, and that's because Burrow has such a long track record of being that guy. Maybe even earlier than he should have been. You know who that sounds like Jimmy. Who you know who it sounds like? Go ahead, Andrew Luck. I mean, obviously you want him to continue playing, but seriously. He's, he, it seems like he's coming and he's just figured it out a lot faster than um, quarterbacks usually do. No, I, I don't necessarily agree with that part of it of, you know, right away turning the dial and, and, and shifting where expectations of the pulse are. Obviously, a different wing of expectations at that time for the Colts versus where the Bengals are, but the immediacy of the results speak for themselves. There's no doubt about that. Charlie Goldsmith taking some time with us here on The Fan. Charlie, as you look at the AFC North after this offseason, I know there's still a couple things to be fine-tuned, but how competitive do you expect this division to be? Another year of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. Lamar Jackson obviously needs to stay healthy, but he has an extension 
done away with. Kenny Pickett's in Pittsburgh. Uh, how do you feel about the stats uh, and, and the way things could project out on the AFC North? I think it's a great division. I think it's right up there with the AFC East. I don't think the Ravens have gotten nearly enough credit for the type of team they are. No defense in all of football last year gave the Bengals a tougher time. They played them three times, and on every single drive, the Bengals had to scratch and claw for every point. They lost one of those matchups. Um, they won in Week 18 when the Ravens were resting half their starters, but that was a game that was harder than it should have been. And then it took the greatest play in franchise history, a 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown by the defense to beat the Ravens in the playoffs. So you combine that unit with a great coordinator, with great safety, so much athleticism, a young, dynamic, edge-shedding pass rush. Combine that with an offense that now has the resources and the players and the like decision to uh, attack the Bengals or attack every team more aggressively down the field. I think the Ravens are going to be really good and challenge the Bengals all year. The Browns have maybe the best pass rush in the division. Um, that can really fix some of their issues specifically with how they've invested on the interior defensive line. If they're a better run defense this year, the floor of that team raises dramatically. And then the Steelers, I mean, when they had T.J. Watt last year, they were incredible. Um, if you take out that stretch that he missed, um, I have concerns about their corners. I'd probably have them fourth in the division right now. They might have the second-best group of skill position players behind the Bengals. I really like Friar Moose. I think Pickens is going to have a much better year in year two. Allen Robinson gives them something. I still have Najee Harris stock. Pickett might not be the most talented, but like he has the intangibles you want from a quarterback. I think it's four teams that have a realistic, you know, they can go into the season saying they can win the division. The Bengals are the favorite, but again, it's a very deep division. Charlie, when you look at what happened last year with DeMar Hamlin, obviously we were all witnesses to what happened. Um, the Bengals being a part of that game, we've talked a lot about how it affected the Bills. How did that affect the Bengals, and how do you see them kind of coming out of that, I don't want to say fog, but just a really weird scenario where you were rolling throughout the season, this happens, and then you have a bunch of scenarios thrown at you, and obviously they went out there and performed and still did it, I thought, in a, a very respectable way. But how much does this season just feel like a breath of fresh air to hopefully you know, never have to experience something like that again? I'll be honest with you. Like, it was a very, obviously, it was a very strange, a very weird week. What was interesting to me is, so, like, on Wednesday, you hear players of, you know, during that week, you hear players saying they're not sure they want to play on Sunday. Then Thursday, like, the news comes out that tomorrow's going to be fine and everything switches, you know, the mindset. And then late Thursday night, like, they announced, like, the new tiebreaker procedures and, you know, just speaking objectively here, they were very much against the Bengals in their favor with different tie-breaking procedures. And, like, so all of a sudden in, like, an hour, the whole mindset switches to the Bengals are the underdog, the Bengals are the team that no one believes in, no one respects, uh, no one gives any credit to. And, like, that was the seed of, like, this, this massive chip on their shoulder that they were just like very vocal about for the rest of the season. So like in a very indirect way, because of those tie breaking procedures, like that kind of created this identity that the Bengals were very vocal about for the rest of the season. And now though, they they know that no one's doubting them. Like they're, they're now very well established as one of the best teams in football. My last question, and it's not even really a question. Um, how long did it take you to spell Cincinnati correctly? Because I, <laughs> I I finally have it myself, but I just feel like the amount of tweets you must get with Cincinnati spelled wrong must be astronomical. So I'm from here. So I, 
I, I, oh, I nice. did have it down. Um, the, my biggest pet peeve, just to give you a heads up, is sometimes it goes by Cincy. You know, like Cincy makes sense, right? Yep. That's C-I-N-C-Y. So if you're using the shortened Cincy, it ends with a Y, not an I. Just right, gotcha. Yeah, I got that part down. See, yeah. look, I'm learning some things. I've never here. done that before, so I feel good. I, I, I never even thought about putting an I at the end. So I'm that's... just like, I see two T's in Cincinnati, no. and I laugh every time. It's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> we got a little bit of lesson in spelling to close this segment. Charlie, thank you for making the time. Looking forward to following along the rest of the way, both the Reds and then once training camp gets underway for the Bengals. Thank you. That's Charlie Goldsmith, member of the Inquirer. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Still here, rocking out in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cooks, or Jimmy Cook, I'm sorry. I always say Cooks because of the song uh, from Drake. Sorry about that. Hey, that was a, pr- was a proud moment for me. I, yeah. I didn't take advantage and add it to the bio, but I very, I very well could oh, just steer to that. You, you know? should have, man. I know, I know. You should have been the video. Great Next song, time, I, I'll tell you what. I'll call Drake and get it all squared away. You're the man. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I appreciate that, uh, You too. take care of us. <laughs> we have the Dean on the line. Mike Chappell, been covering the Colts since they moved here. You know the spiel. Covers him now for Fox 59. Chap, how you doing, my man? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. We have no uh, Colts news until tonight, I guess, when they announce the training camp schedule because everything has to be an official, official announcement. So let's start there. Chap, what do you think of the Colts, in the NFL in particular, um, having an announcement for their announcement about training camp? It tells you where we are. I mean, they, they put that release out like last week. Today we're going to have an announcement. Tootsie. So, yeah, it, it's where we are. And I get, I mean, I don't know why they do it. Uh, I mean, we're going to get the information. and But th- th- I tell you, it, it's a spinoff of the NFL. And they th- there is no business that's better at marketing itself than NFL. I mean, th- this is a down period so they can make us – you know, all the teams will make a big deal out of this. It's a big deal for fans, but just give us the dates. But it, it, it's it, again, it's an extension of the NFL, and nobody promotes itself better than NFL. I mean, everybody bitches and moans about the Pro Bowl, and people watch it. It's one. It's one of the better, you know, watched events every year because the Combine. Yep. It, it's amazing how the NFL turns things in in the cornerstone events and, and they're great at it like it or not 
Yeah, I see they have an event later today at Grand Park to announce it, and, and Jimmy asked me if I would be going, and I was like, uh, no chance. You will not see me in <laughs> Westfield. I won't, I won't see you there either because I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I was like, I will not be in Westfield until I am forced to be in Westfield for actual training camp, not the training camp uh, date right. announcement, which I will find out on my phone. But Your loss. <laughs> I know my loss. I, you know it's going to be the day that you know uh, Peyton Manning and Edwin James and everyone else comes back to you know right. uh, announce the training camp schedule. But That'd be something. Uh, <laughs> jokes aside, chap. You know we're in this lull, but there is that news, or we we would assume that it's going to happen at some point with Isaiah Rogers Senior. So, um, are you surprised that you haven't heard more about this? Just considering that with other. Um, gambling violations or alleged gambling violations, you usually hear something, you know, a lot a lot quicker than I believe now. It's probably been like a month. Well, but then we don't know what led up to those four or five with the Lions and and Washington. We don't know how very true long they'd been. But but no, I yeah, I don't I don't know what else. How extensive? I guess you want all your all the details. But I mean, he admitted that he did something. <laughs> that he shouldn't have done. So yeah, I suppose, and you just want it over, just because it's not. And going into the off season, we all talked that you know the only things that were left unresolved were the three draft picks, uh, Isaiah Rogers, and maybe an extension or two. So uh, you know, other than that, nothing was going to go on. And I'm not counting the 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 event tonight at Grand Park. <laughs> so but but again yeah I'm surprised it's not over because we want it, it's just unfinished business that we're expecting the only issue is going to be is the severity of the punishment which I'm expecting pretty severe I am. So yeah I, I just wish it was over because that's one less thing I guess to worry about which is that's kind of a selfish thing but I it, it's just hard to understand how much how much deeper they had to get in to this to, 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 to come to their determination. And I expect it'll be, it'll happen on a Friday about four 30. Cause that's when normally bad news comes out. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox News nine and CBS four taking some time with us here on the fan midday show chap. Where's the line between concern and it's business as usual. What more do you want from us in regards to the Colts being close to full health or getting healthier by the start of training camp? Well, we'll find out whatever the whatever the reporting date is, the 26th, 27th. And as far as I'm concerned, the only one that matters is Shaq, yeah. how yeah. health-wise. The rest of the guys, I, I, I've been around long enough to realize that if, if you've got any kind of lingering issue or something minor that you, you would have practiced in regular season, you don't now, they, they don't take any risks. Right. But by and large, a lot of the guys were guys that had something. It was Shaq, it was Taekwon Lewis, it was uh, several other players. And then what really hurt were the rookies. I mean, that, that, you know, we, we knew Juju Brents wasn't going to practice. But then with Darius Rush and Josh Downs, they, they miss in the tight end, uh, uh, Will Mallory. They miss really, really significant time. It's sort of the that that – that time where you, you let the awe of the moment pass. So these rookies come in and all of a sudden they're on the field with Jonathan Taylor. And although he's in practice, but, but you're there with the veterans. Well, now they're, 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 you know, transition and that's going to be training camp. So, and they missed a lot of install time. 
So it, it's one thing for Taekwon or Shaq or JT or something to miss time, but for rookies to miss time, it, it's never a good thing. So, I, I, again, that, that's what I want to see what happens uh, come training camp time and how many of these guys. A couple of them will be pup. I'm guessing Taekwon Lewis might be maybe Ogletree with the ACL. But I'll tell you, James and I, we were talking, we all talked that in the media room. As much as I wanted to see Shaq do something during OTAs, you know, I, I guess my bar was too high. But holy smokes, if he's if he's still feeling his way back or on pup in late July, I how do you how are you not more than a little concerned? Is there any way that's alleviated by the thought that maybe they're being extremely cautious this time around, unlike last year where? There, there was some feeling that maybe he rushed back too soon? Oh, I guess. But, I mean, he rushed back too soon because he came back in three months. Sure. This, this is going to be like nine months. Right. So, no, and not that we expected it, but Shane Steichen gave us no no help. What was it? Uh, he's making good progress. and Same thing that no, Frank Reich told us. Right, right. And, and well, they're, doggone it, there should be a time frame. You know, JT's told us he was optimistic for training camp, although, you know, never trust players <laughs> on, on that. But uh, I just, it, it's, if after nine months he's not to where he's cleared to practice, just, just you know, the old Allen Iverson practice, uh, <laughs> then, then when? I mean, what, two more weeks, three more weeks? I mean, what? I, it, 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 the, the time frame needs to be practice and then practice consistently and then play. That, that's that's the the hard time frame. And, and if he's not to that point, come late Jan, late late July again, it's going to be. I have to look at the calendar. Eight or nine months. Uh, I don't know. I, that's why I say the only the only thing that's going to alleviate concern over Shaq is is one to see him practice, and then to see him practice the next day. And it and it gets to be a non-issue for us, we, and then we can pay attention to everything else that's going to go on in camp. But he's he's he's, he's your highest-paid player. He's your defensive catalyst, and and he hasn't played really for this. You know, since since twenty twenty-one. You know, last year really doesn't count. So there's a lot tied up in him, uh, uh Money-wise and, you know, scheme-wise, and gosh, you, you need your best players practicing. Because, you know, once the season gets going, everybody gets nicks and hurts and you play through stuff. And But, boy, at, at the start of training camp, you need to be ready to go and, 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 and not necessarily in rehab mode. So that that's why, you know, as, as much as I'd like to see something in OTAs, I'd really like to see something at the end of July to where he is out there. I, I think JT will be out there. I think they were really cautious with him. Some of the other ones maybe, but boy, Shaq is—he's got to—he's got to be available. He's just got to be available. I agree, Chad. But to kind of pivot to JT for a second, me and Jimmy have debated all afternoon about the contract, the extension, the numbers. Do you see a deal? getting done before the season starts. And, and, I mean, I don't know how JT feels about it because he sounded pretty adamant, at least to stand up for himself, 
for the first time, I would say, in his career here in Indianapolis where he kind of put his foot down. But how do you see it playing out? I, I sort of do just because his value to the team. And I realize you get the running back, which is <laughs> of all the positions, it's not good to be running back right now. But I, I think his value to the team, he's still semi-young. And his contract's not going to approach like a Michael Pittman contract. You know, what's it going to be, $14, $15 million a year, which is still great money. But, but yeah, I, 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 I think so. I, I think it gets done. It, it's funny with – and we've all talked about this – is how his, how his uh, comments changed – from the end of the season when, hey, you know, I, I signed a contract and, you know, I'll, I'll play it out and, and, yeah. and then we'll see. I'll let my agents stand up. Well, then he changed agents. And then it was like, you know, uh, if you, it, the guys who've been here, they get paid. So he, he did a 180 on, on his uh, – it's, it's you know, looking out for himself, which he needs to. You know, I, and I don't think people should look at it as being selfish. Boy, if, if a player's not selfish – don't expect the team to look out after you because they won't. Uh, but I, I was struck by how direct he was in, you know, we'll talk to him about my value to the team, but, boy, I don't think we need to. I, I would think they would know. Uh, yeah, I, I think something gets done. Uh, that's been that's been their, their, their history. And I realize he's a running back, and I realize – He's got a lot of wear on him from, you know, the three years in Wisconsin. Those carries count, too. You know, they, they just don't go away when you go to the NFL. <laughs> but I – and I realize he's coming off the, the down year with the injuries, but I didn't think the injury impacted him as much as the crappy offense. You know, I, I think if the offense was functional, he has 11, 1,200 yards and we're probably not having the down year – discussion so i don't think there's any reason to think that oh boy have we seen the best of jt he's played three years you know it's not like he's yeah you know edgering james after six years so i think it gets done i think they needed to get done but it it, it reinforces management's uh uh commitment to their own i don't really buy too much into and he went into well you know when you do this, that, and the other in the community and all this, that's important. I don't think that has much impact on contracts as well. You know, this guy's out there on Tuesdays in the community and I, 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 that's good. I don't think that's much of a bargaining chip in negotiations. It's going to be on how they, the length of it. I think to me, it'll be like a three year deal. That's really two years. And how much money to get guaranteed? I keep going back to the to the Nick Chubb thing was was three years thirty six six. Yep. And and maybe what the what you look at is if they wanted to play nasty hardball, they make him play out this year for four million, and they tag him and they tag him, and those two tags will be worth about twenty three million. So make sure that his first two years in an extension involves twenty five million dollars. I don't. I don't know. It's easy, it's easy for us to throw numbers out there, but I think it gets done for a lot of reasons. And and it's funny how we talk so little about Michael Pittman. That one's going to be. Diff- I think that's going to be difficult. I really do. But Pittman. But but JT shouldn't be in the realm of things that that complicated. 
other than the fact he's a running back. Yeah, I think Pittman's in a... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope Today. Better spot chat because of his position. And I also don't fully know if he wants to be back. Good good point. He good hasn't point. expressed that to us, but I'll let Jimmy jump in here real quick. But I was to your point about the community aspect, about you know what he's doing for the children and no right. one ever cares about what you do in the community when contract talks come up unless nope. you're doing bad things in the community. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a great, great addendum to have on your resume. Well, he does this, and that's great. It really is, and I don't mean to downplay it. But when it comes time to signing somebody to a four-year, $60 million extension, I don't think it says, and by the way, he did this, that, and the other. I, I don't. It's, it's, it, it's a performance league. Is what have you? What can you do for us on the field? And 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 that's why I get. But I think it gets done because he's done a lot for this franchise. I think he'll do a lot for the franchise. The question is, is again, how long? How long do you think he's a viable player? Because like it or not, teams are going to run running backs into the ground. They, they can talk about, I guess it's what load management and all that kind of stuff. If you got a stud player, you're going to use him. And that's why I say if I'm JT, I can get I get as much as I can like in the first two years. And I'll worry about year three and year four later. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox United CBS four with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Chap, how much more complicated did this situation become if, just for the sake of argument, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts do not reach a extension going into the season, and it's something that winds up being played out into next off season? And Michael Pittman Jr. also does not have an extension done. You go into next offseason with one tag to play with. I don't want to speak for you, but I always lean more towards I'll splurge for wide receivers before I splurge for running backs. How much does that situation, if at all, complicate things for the Colts, knowing that two potential building blocks or key components to this offense could be up and you only have one tag to fall back on? Well, that's huge. And I know what you're saying about which one to splurge on, but if you splurge on a receiver, it's going to be, gosh, twenty, <laughs> right, two twenty-three million dollars, and a running back's going to be thirteen. Uh, so, but but I do I do think, and James mentioned a lot, like with Pittman, I think, and he's probably right that if he has a decent season, whatever decent means, and there's no deal. I think he believes he'll get a pretty good contract on the open market, more more than the Colts would give him. Do you think they tag I, him? I just, yeah, but it's twenty. It's twenty. Sure. No, I, I, I right. No, I, I know you're paying a premium I, I, there. I don't know that I would tag him and let JT walk 
that's why it's really important, I think, to get one of them done. And the one that makes sense is JT. But keep in mind that the dynamic is you've got a young quarterback, and I, I would, I would, almost to a fault, let things go on the defense and keep my offense together. And that means the young receivers, and they are young, and in a top three or four running back. Somebody put a, a list of the top five running backs out. And he wasn't one of them. I'm thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> that, that's that's just crazy. Yeah. So I, I, I again, and, and that's another reason I think it plays into the getting JT done. And, and again, you can play hardball, and you can make him play with with, with the, the the final year of his contract, and then a couple of tags. And that's not a good message to send at all. It isn't. Uh, so get one of them done, and then and then you can franchise if you want to Pittman next year. You know, it's easy to say, well, let Pittman walk. Well, I mean, it's, it's just not easy to find top receivers. Unless they're really, really bad this year, which I don't think they'll be really, really bad. You know, I never say he talked about Marvin. He openly talked about Marvin Harrison Jr. by talking that he had a long talk with Marvin Harrison Sr. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's just hard to always find that guy in the draft. And when you get a guy – the, you know, the good thing is you, you hit on a draft pick. The downside is you, then you got to pay to keep him. Well, I, I, I'd, I'd probably rather pay to keep Pittman next year than than try to replace him by – you can't do it in free agency because you're going to pay out the nose for a yeah. guy. So, yeah, it, it's complicated. But I would – as much as I could, I would keep the offense together at the expense of, of the defense not quite being where you, you – know, it's going to be a young defense anyway. It's a secondary and the, or the corners and, and, and safeties. But, boy, keep, keep the offense together and give them a chance to grow together. And that's why it's important to get JT done, I think, and then try to get Pittman next year or franchise if, if you feel like it. But to go into next year with both of them unsigned. And also you've got other guys. Whose contracts are going to yeah. be? Somebody's been posting about Grover, Grover Stewart, and he's he's a great player, but I put him third behind the two offensive yeah. players as far as extensions. Chap, how do you see, or what do you need to see from Anthony Richardson throughout camp to say, okay, he's showing me enough that he can be the Week One starter? Because as we saw throughout OTAs and minicamp, both rookie and veteran. He would have the best throw some days, and then have right. just some really up and down days overall. Yeah, it's funny. He he would always have the the top play and the worst play. It seemed like <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I thought he was at he was as advertised with a strong arm and and some great throws. And then some, you think, well, what was that? Mm-hmm. And, and this and this was without without uh, a, a, a legitimate defense, meaning contact and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we're going to find out on Richardson's development by how how, how the reps are in, in, in training camp. Mm-hmm. It was hard to really tell much in OTAs and minicamp. It was, it was 50-50, 60-40, I don't know. And we yeah. were only out there a part of the time. We're going to see in training camp. We're out there all day, and they're not going to disguise – Reps, they're, they're going to give these guys reps, and if they if if they think that Richardson can be and should be ready to go in September, boy, he needs to take most of the reps. He just does, 
and we're probably going to see some uneven days. But if we go, go to some point and, and Minshew's still taking most of the reps, then, then then they don't think he'll be ready, meaning Richardson. So I think we'll tell with our eyes. We're not going to get squat from from Shane. We're not. You know, he's making progress. You know, that's what we're going to get. But I, I think with our eyes, we'll, we'll know the progress by how they're handling him on reps. And and maybe not so much when we start charting it at eleven on elevens and seven on sevens, but how they how they view him as far as reps because that's that's what it comes down to. If you, if you deserve the reps and you need the reps, you'll get the reps, and it'll be very very interesting because they're not going to help us at all on comments. We're not going to get much from Shane. We're not going to get much from Jim Bob Cooter. It'll be what we see, and not so much what they say. I think. Chap, last thing for me, I'm not going to have you go the way of Bill Barnwell and rank the entire league from a skill position group standpoint, but as you look at the moves that they've made this offseason, regardless of who's under center, how confident are you in this offense as a whole in terms of what they are, what they've been able to do from an acquisition standpoint this offseason? Well, I'd like to have had another receiver in here. Uh, I'd like to have had a guard, an offensive lineman in here. But boy, they got to be better than last year. I mean, they just they just have to be, and that starts with the offensive line. If the offensive line is just good, then they should be good enough. Uh, and then because you got because you're going to have to be able to to absorb erratic play by your quarterback. Because if it's Richardson, he's going to be have good moments and bad moments. You just you just want the bad moments to be, you know, a interception in the red zone or whatever. But I, I think they'll be better. That's why I, I wonder how bad they're going to be because I look at the schedule. Maybe I shouldn't look at the schedule, but it's not a hard schedule. You're playing the AFC South and the NFC South. I mean, the two worst divisions in the league. And the start of the season is not too bad. So we'll know. Of course, like we said last year that after seven games, we'd know where they are because the first five were division games. We'll know this year after four or five games – because it's it's couple it's what is it three division games in the first five I think yep the, the Rams are in there so we'll, we'll know we'll know if they're getting their doors blown off early then then will they'll be in position to get a really really good player next year but I just think that th- they should be competitive and they won't find ways to lose like they found historic ways to lose last year I don't think that happens again but. To, to think this team's going to be eleven and six, and then they're running for things. I don't see that, but I think they'll be competitive on the field and in one loss record. Chap, got to let you go here, but I want to say um, I, I'm glad that you're not heading to Grand Park tonight. Because if you were, I was going to be like, "Dang, no. am, I supposed, am I supposed to be there? What's going on?" No. Like, see, you know? but, but you but you mentioned something so many times when you're the beat guy and you. And there's a there's a team event and you're not there. That's when you're afraid something's going to happen. There have been one or two times where I've stayed away for something, a walk or whatever, and something's happened. But it would take something really, really impressive to, to have me go up there tonight because I can get I can get on the on the click of my computer and I'll have all the information that those guys have up there. It's a great TV moment, sound bites, and all that. But no, that's I'm sure I've got better things to do tonight. I don't know what it is. I'll find something. (laughs) All right, Chap. Always great to have you on. I'll see you soon, buddy. 
Talk to you later. Be well. That was Mike Chap, the Dean, covers the Colts for Fox 59. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. I wish the listening audience could see my dance moves here on 107.5 The Fan. It was top shelf. I know. I'm trying, people. I'm having fun with it. Of course, you're still listening to our show, Midday Show. Almost getting up out of here. But before we do, I'm James Boyd, Jimmy Cook, alongside also Eddie Garrison. And we have Caitlin Cooper, Pacers guru, Pacers genius. Jump passes are good now. She um, <laughs> covers the Pacers for her own Accord, I guess, on with her Patreon account. You can subscribe. Three dollars a month gets you the best Pacers coverage, I believe, probably in the city as far as just the ins and outs of basketball. So, um, Caitlin, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. I know I hit you up kind of late yesterday. I was like, you know what? She's pretty clutch usually, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I guess we'll start at the top. You know, Jarris Walker, number seven pick, well, really number eight, depending on how you look at it and how it was flipped and all those types of things, but. He's coming to Indy. How do you see him fitting into this team as far as uh, helping them, I would, I would assume, um, get into a play-in, play-off uh, future? I think the number one thing that Jarris Walker is going to bring to the Pacers is his off-ball defensive instincts. Yes. Last year, you know, they made the switch from Jalen Smith starting at power forward to end up being Aaron Neesmith, and that kind of reoriented some of what they did defensively. And when you looked at a lot of their lineups with who was defending the corners, it's usually somebody who is undersized. So now with Jarris Walker, who has a seven foot two wingspan, he's really a guy who can come in and tag and still get back out to shooters and be able to close out. There's not a lot of people that you're going to be able to watch who can come over and bump a roller and still be able to intercept a pass, a skip pass, and make those types of reads. His instincts are just really good. He's a very proactive defender. We know that the Pacers finished the season ranking 26th in defensive rating. So that was definitely an area that they needed to upgrade, and I think he's going to be able to give them a lot of help there. Defense, we finally hear it because I feel like there's been so much progress with the Pacers, but Lord have mercy. I was like, some of these games, they're not going to win every game by 130 <laughs> to 120. Um, and then to piggyback off of what you said, how also do you think he, he fits on, on the offensive side? Because obviously there's some rawness there, there's some ability there, but he maybe isn't as polished as other players that are coming out of this draft class, but I would imagine he has some upside there as well, no? 
Yeah, and I think that some of the stuff that he can do, we didn't necessarily get to see a lot of at Houston. He only finished like three shots on the roll, but he's athletic. He has a wide catch radius. There's reasons to think that when playing with a guard like Tyrese Halliburton, who can really manipulate, you know, two-on-two drop coverage, that there might be a little bit more for him to show there. And then also, when you look at some of his film at IMG Academy, he has a fake DHO in his arsenal. He has a keeper, and that's also going to fit really well with, you know, Tyrese. If you look at, like, I don't like using player but if you look at Draymond Green and Steph Curry and some of the actions that the Warriors run with the two of them, I think that there's some stuff that you could do with Jarris Walker, you know, down the road that will fit with what his playmaking instincts are. He's a high field player. So also with Tyrese, he'll draw two to the ball. You can put Jarris Walker in the short roll and he makes reads beyond just, you know, catch the ball pass to the opposite corner. He really reads and processes the defense to find the open man. So I think there's some playmaking there that the Pacers haven't necessarily had and the big spots, at least going back to last season before they traded Sabonis. Kalen Cooper with us. You can follow her on Twitter at C2 underscore Cooper. Joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. I want to step away from the Pacers for just a second. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you celebrated a little bit just yesterday when today's society, we're all worried about how much time we spend on our phones or how much time we're utilizing trying to, whether it's text people or, or get the latest stories and news breaks in, in your world, What's the likelihood, I know you shared that you've had 23% down on your screen time. What's the likelihood that that's a number that's repeatable now that free agency is right around the corner? I mean, it's the goal, right? There's ways to avoid this. you got to set your phone to notifications for woes and shams, and then you just don't have to sit there scroll on the timeline all day. Like I wrote in the tweet, I'm not going to be the girl who sits and waits by the phone. Like I don't <laughs> like monitoring this. People know I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a rumor aggregator. And now that I have my own site at Patreon, like I mostly write about the basketball that the Pacers play. So I'm perfectly fine waiting and seeing what moves they make and then analyzing them afterward. I don't have to be out there following every rumor down. So yes, I did celebrate that my screen time was down to the <laughs> two and a half hour mark. So we're not going to get like a top 10 of potential Pacers that could join them in free agency. Oh my goodness, it always happens every year, so I don't miss that stuff at all. Is there an ideal one, though, Caitlin, as you look at the free agent class that you would like to see end up here? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. I do know that there are a few rumors about the Pacers having potentially been interested in DeAndre Hunter with the Hawks. I think he probably tracks a little bit more as a four, and that kind of goes back to some of the stuff with Jairus Walker, right? Like, will they want to do what they did with Benedict Mathern a year ago where they brought Benedict off the bench and kind of brought him along easily and coached him a little bit harder, or were they – be more willing to throw Jarris out there in the starting lineup right away. Jarris is a higher field player than Ben, and he's a better defender, you know, different positions than what Ben started the year at last year, so it's possible that they'll be looking there. But I could also see a scenario where they might address the four spot and let Jarris come off the bench. So also some stuff out there about Harrison Barnes and Rick Carlisle. Caitlin, you still there? Caitlin, we lost you for a second. You still got us? I'm here. You guys. Yeah, yeah. It just faded out there for a second when you talk about Rick Carlisle. Yeah, so there's connections to Harrison Barnes with Rick Carlisle in Dallas, and obviously Tyrese played with him in Sacramento as well. So I could see a scenario where the Pacers might try to look at getting him on like a one-year deal or maybe a one-year deal with an option where then you would have the ability to maybe play him at the four and bring Jairus Walker along and ease him in that way, given what their method was last year with Benedict. So we look at the rest of this draft class. You got Ben Shepard. I need help with the second name on this list. It's it's Mojave King. Mojave King. There that is go. such a great name. It's it's, it's silky smooth. <laughs> I'm a big fan. And then we have Isaiah Wong, and also uh, we have Oscar 
Last name? Sheboy. There we see, dude. You're great at this. This is why. Well, he, he he was on the Adidas circuit. That's the only reason I know that. One, so that's all right. <laughs> but Caitlin, I guess what intrigues you about? Because I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I did not watch a lot of Ben Shepard Belmont's performances, but just my quick Google search, YouTube. The guy can shoot the ball, and he's got some pretty good size to him. So, why do you think the Pacers were so intrigued with him? And then also, you know, you being like you said, more plugged into the basketball side of things, what type of fit do you think he could have with a team that is a little bit guard-heavy? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Ben Shepard that stands out most is he had a very high usage rate. You know, he's the top scoring option for Belmont, but when you watch him play, you can see how he could slide into a low usage role for the Pacers because he's, again, a high-field player, but he's also a low-ego player when he's on the court. So Belmont ran a very motion-based offense, but – he finds ways to find the ball and so that the ball can see him, but he doesn't beg for the ball. So he's always sliding along the three-point line to, to put himself into passing windows. He continues advantages. So you'll, he'll be the type of player where he might drift into the corner, he'll get a pass, and then he's going to drive downhill, pass to the opposite corner, and then backpedal back to his original spot, relocate, and shoot a three. Like you mentioned, he scored over 1.1 points per possession on shots off the catch shots off the dribble, and shots coming off of screen. So he has the ability to be a movement shooter. We know that Rick Carlisle likes having movement shooters in the types of offense that they run, that he likes shooting in general. So the Pacers do have a lot of guards, but if you look at the ones that they just drafted, like they all serve very different roles. I mean, Shepard is more of you know a movement shooter. He's going to be able to play off of the advantages created by his teammates and still have an impact. Isaiah Wong's more a guy who like to – put it into basic terms as like a get buckets player he's going to be able to go create and find his own shot within set actions and Mojave King's like a slashing wing is how I would describe him he's he has he plays in triple threat and he's going to use a jab move and get to the basket or he's very good and timely with cutting so they all three serve different purposes but yeah I mean unless they're going to make other moves in the offseason and now that they've added Jarris Walker, they were playing line, you know, up to seven guards last year. I don't know that that's going to be repeatable again this year. And how do you find developmental minutes for all those various guys, even if Isaiah and Mojave? It sounds like Mojave is going to be playing overseas next year, but Isaiah will most likely be on a two-way contract. Settle a conversation for us. Kalen Cooper, nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. As you're mapping out free agents and you look at somebody like Kyle Kuzma, is there a fit here in Indiana if they were to go that route? I think, yeah, I mean, it, that's kind of the difference between him and Harrison Barnes. I think that you're going to get a little bit more defensively out of Kyle Kuzma. He's very good at playing in transition, and I think that that's pretty much how the Pacers are oriented, especially around the defense. Tyrese Halliburton's the engineer of that. That's the identity that they play because that's the way he's going to play. He's going to be clapping for inbound passes and wanting to get downhill. You can throw hit-ahead passes to a guy like Kyle Kuzma. And also, I think he's probably going to help you on the glass a little bit more better than the other options. And the Pacers finished last season ranking 30th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. So that's another area that they're going to need to shore up. So, yeah, I mean, I can see the potential fit there. <laughs> you can see the potential fit given how few people that the Pacers have of that size and shape with a lot of the various people that are going to be available in free agency. Well, I just want to mention this as a shot to Jimmy. You, knew, you, <laughs> you mentioned, one, everything that you just said, you said it way more eloquent, eloquently than I did earlier, but I was I was in the ballpark as far as the Kyle Kuzma fit. And then secondly, Isaiah Wong gets buckets. He knows that very well because they put buckets on what school? 
In oh, tournament? That, that's, that was unnecessary, Indiana. I'm just, that, I'm just, I'm just checking. Multiple schools. Oh, I, was, multiple I, was, I was just schools. checking. You couldn't take the Kuzma win and take Look, a victory no, lap. You no, had to go that no. right, okay. Look, man, I didn't get much wins cheering for Illinois last year, that's so I got to I gotta get in where that's I fit fair. in. There you go. Yeah. Look, I told you I'm petty. I like being petty. The high road at Romeoville is kid. for losers. You know, I, I want to go low. You know how to get in this match. It's at Romeoville. <laughs> All right. Now, back to the main thing. Um, Caitlin, I'm very curious, just as a fan of you, I guess, how do you – Break down and watch games because I feel like whenever we talk to you about it, um, and you uh, obviously put your work out there, you tweet things like even just now, you probably listed off three or four stats. Where I'm like, do you just have a list? Do you have a big board like in your in your like a whiteboard in your living room where you just write a bunch of stuff down? Like, what is the setup for game night for the Pacers? So I watch all of the games live, and then most people know that pretty immediately afterward, I I start rewatching or I get up in the right. morning and I watch mm-hmm. it, and then I. Yeah, and then I start clipping anything that I find interesting or out of the ordinary. Sometimes I immediately write about it if it's like a one-off possession, be something interesting, like a funny story that would be an example of this from last year. Is um, the Warriors are running a play that they call quick, good at paying attention to what opposing coaches are going to run. He noticed that signal and intercepted the play, and then when he went down the other end of the court, he mocked that signal back to Steve Kerr. So like I thought that that was going to be a fun story to tell that maybe not everybody would notice. So that type of stuff I turn around pretty quickly. But if it's going to be like an arcing thing, like oh I want to watch every time Tyrese Halliburton made a jump pass, then that's something I gotta I gotta keep collecting all the jump passes over time so I can sit down and analyze them in a massive log to to try to distill what exactly does this mean and why is this a competitive advantage for Tyrese Halliburton? That's awesome. I think it's really cool to one see the shirts. I saw Tyrese in the shirt. Can you just give us your quick reaction to that? I mean, obviously it was last season, but I still think that that's something where I don't know if I've ever had a player wear my shirt. So <laughs> how was that for you to see Tyrese in it and, and know that he kind of appreciates the work? Yeah, I mean, he said, he shouted out some of my work before on J.J. Reddick's podcast. He wore that shirt after Indy Cornrows came to an end. He was nice enough to tweet something on his platform. Here's what I'll say about it and what I would tell anybody at Indy. I think that says a lot more about who Tyrese Halliburton is as a person than it does even necessarily the quality of my work. I just think that that's what caliber of human being he is. I've talked to him very briefly when I was in Indy at the end of last season, and he's just about as generous as you would expect him to be and as gracious as you would expect him to be. So obviously that meant a lot to me. We did get some more orders of shirts after Tyrese wore that down the tunnel. So um, I think he's a pretty stand-up guy, and that Indy's pretty lucky to have him representing the Pacers. Well, I'll tell you what. You could cover any team in the league, and we're very grateful to have you covering our Pacers here in Indy. So, Caitlin, we'll let you go. But um, keep up the great work. And like I said, to all the listeners out there, you can subscribe to our work at Patreon. $3 a month gets you the best coverage, I think, arguably in the city. So, um, Caitlin, keep up the great work, as always. And, uh, you know, don't wait by the phone as far as free agency goes. I know you won't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't plan to. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Caitlin. All right, again, that's Caitlin Cooper, longtime uh, Pacers writer. She does it on her own, got her own lane she's in. It's very unique to her, and it's awesome. Um, I think the work she's for herself. You can follow her at C2 underscore Cooper.